0: Today's episode is sponsored by NWEA.
1: NWEA, a corporate sponsor of NCEA, supports students and educators worldwide with assessment solutions that measure growth and proficiency, providing insights to help tailor instruction. With precise data, professional learning offerings, and research services, we help Catholic educators and their students get set up for success. Visit nwea.org slash schools to see why over 1,900 Catholic schools in 84 dioceses nationwide trust NWEA for assessments.
2: welcome to the ncea podcast this is jill Annibal senior vice president of programs at NCA, and today is a very unique episode of the podcast because i have with me in the car <laughs> we're headed to the regional workshop for micro schools and multi-age instruction and i just happen to be riding along with one of our presenters abby van dyke abby welcome to the podcast thank you jill um this kind of feels like have you seen the Jerry Seinfeld um, series about drinking coffee in cars with comedians are you familiar with this I'm not. okay well this is totally what we're doing because we are dry. After
3: this,
2: we are people. driving. Home. they are comedians so it's a little bit different than teachers but um, what's what's great about this ride is that Abby Van Dyke and I have known each other for a very long time we were both teacher fellows with the National Writing Project um, I don't know in 2006 Seven. 2007 And so um, but our paths continue to cross she was a Catholic school teacher then I was public school teacher and I was very envious that she had a Catholic school job because I couldn't find one in my first years and so um, I've you know worked alongside Abby since then but now she's coming to present on multi-age instruction but she's not in a micro school Um, Abby teaches at St. Thomas the Apostle Catholic School in the Diocese of Grand Rapids and um, it's it's not a, how how big is your school do you have any guess I think
1: we have 330 students
2: Okay which is relatively large in the state of Michigan to have 330 students in an elementary school I know that sounds small to the rest of the country but in Michigan that's a that's a relatively large elementary and so they've been using multi-age instruction out of an innovative model not out of necessity it's not about combining grades cuz you run multiple sections of of certain grades. Um, Tell us a little bit about your history in teaching multi-age, like which grades have you taught, What, what have you been doing?
1: So I started out teaching just a traditional third grade and then there was an opportunity we were looking at numbers and how could we do something other than a split with our fourth and fifth grade classes. And we had heard about multi-age, and I've always said I would never teach a split because with a split, I felt like you had to be responsible for everything, everything for everybody. And with multi-age, you have two years with your students, so you have twice as much time to teach all of your kids. So I talked to my principal about being one of the fourth and fifth grade multi-age teachers And that year we had a traditional fourth grade classroom a traditional fifth grade classroom and then i taught the four or five multi and loved it loved it
2: yeah that's awesome and and so you and your colleagues are are going to be co-presenting to multi-age teachers who are in micro schools so they have a different angle at this than you do um, can you tell us a bit, your, your breakout session is tomorrow, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're going to be discussing in that session?
1: What we're looking at is trying to reframe the thinking of uh, I have to teach a multi-age and changing it to I get to teach a multi-age. I get to teach more than one group of kids, I get to loop with these kids, And take all the time I need over the course of two or three years depending on the grade groups to get them well prepared Um, I think the big difference is that in a split you would have like in my case fourth graders busy doing things on one side of the room while I'm teaching the fifth graders and then I give the fifth graders a task and they work their little hearts out while I go teach fourth grade. But in multi-age, I get to teach all of them. And that's what I love. And I think every classroom has a bit of multi-age in it because every classroom has students who are below level, at level, or above level in all the subjects, whether they're non-readers or they struggle with math. Every classroom has elements of multi-age in how teachers differentiate just lends itself so well in a multi-age. It's almost like it gives you the freedom to do what you want to do anyway.
2: And I, I'd be remiss if I missed this this point. I, um, We have the second book about micro schools coming out, Greatness and Smallness, Effective Multi-Age Instruction in Catholic micro schools. Um, and Abby wrote for us a vignette um, about teaching her multi-age class that's included in the book. And I love this story about the first day of school. Can you, can you, we don't have the book in front of us, but can you tell me a bit of the story?
1: Yes. So my second year of teaching that four or five multi-age, my former fourth graders, new fifth graders, they knew me, they knew what to expect. And on that first day of school, I had stayed downstairs of our building we have two floors I'd stayed downstairs to help little first graders get to their class after lunch and I was kind of late getting back to my own classroom and I like hustled upstairs arrived to my classroom and everybody was quietly reading their Bibles and I had not told them that they needed to read their Bibles and I just kind of walked in and my jaw dropped And the fifth graders said, oh, we just told them that we read Bibles after lunch, so that's what we're doing. And it was like, I was not even needed. I loved that my fifth graders just took it away for me.
2: And that's that natural, um, you know, when we've asked teachers over time to describe the students who have graduated out of multi-age classrooms, I've seen it again and again, is this leadership aspect. And it's not... Um, I think parents are fearful that if their child is in the upper grade of the stretch of that classroom, they think, well, what are they learning? Are they just responsible for teaching the younger kids? You know, this is this actually pushing them? And I haven't seen that. I've seen the fear of that. I haven't seen that. I've seen a very natural leadership tendency um, emerge out of students in a very uh, successful way. But I, maybe, can you talk a little bit more about Uh, that relationship among the students in the different grades? Well I think there's two parts.
1: One, sometimes I forget like how many I have of each grade because I don't think of them as like oh my fifth graders are this, my fourth graders are that. It's just this is my class and I'm maybe more likely to think about like who needs what instead of what grade they're in. But with the way the kids work together it helps that they've already had the teachers so looping is a huge part of this because they know the routines they know the expectations and they might have some familiarity with things that we taught maybe for example this last year we really heavily did a lot of projects on the regions of the country and then used that when we were talking about u.s history Next year those fifth graders have that background knowledge and can help take the lead on the projects that we do even though they won't be the exact same projects they have that background knowledge to help them step up and it's also neat because some of my students maybe are used to being like the younger kid in their family and they don't they don't always get a chance to lead they're usually just dragged along but in the multi-age, they have to step it up. And that's really neat to see.
2: One thing I'm, I'm hearing in you describing your classroom too is it it is evident that you've had time to do the necessary curriculum planning. Like, And I know that's probably not how you sounded in year one and year two. But I think, and this is a leadership, um, this is a call to leadership which isn't, um, You know, I know your role as teacher is your responsibility to the room, but it's really critical that teachers have the opportunity for multi-year planning ahead, the backwards design. This is what the whole book is about, is what does multi-year planning look like? so that students get what they need and families understand what's the progression of my students, that we're not just reinventing the structures of classrooms every single year to make the numbers work, but we owe it to families, we owe it to our teachers to have a multi-year plan with adjustments of where students are gonna go from beginning to end throughout the school. But it sounds like you all do a lot of this curriculum planning um, pretty well together. Can you talk about your process? Just. Don't- It's
1: literally cut and paste. (laughs) I've taken all my standards for all of the different subjects, and I look to see where they line up and how maybe the fifth-grade standard steps up from the fourth-grade standard. So if I'm introducing it at a fourth-grade level, how do I bump it up for all the kids? And not everybody's going to be able to do everything just because they're that grade. Just because somebody is chronologically a fifth-grader doesn't mean that they're automatically capable of what's expected so it's having the support for all of them and nudging the kids that are ready for more but i literally took every standard and there's a lot of them thank you jill really appreciate that um and laid them all out on my floor and stapled together ones that had overlap and Taped together the ones that connected and then I color-coded them very old school with highlighters for what I wanted to teach each quarter this year and then how am I
2: going to take that to the next step the next year that's funny you say okay so first of all I take the blame I was their curriculum director so then the volume of uh, curriculum standards is my fault however your technique of of highlighting and laying them out it's actually a part of the book so you haven't seen that part yet but we talk about laying them out for multi-age and seeing where the threads are and really uh, releasing some of that fear that you're not gonna get to everything if I have third fourth and fifth graders how am I gonna get to everything am I going to ruin these kids are we gonna miss stuff and, and the reality is if you look at any class list and you look at their birth dates you have a range of ages already happening in your room they come in with different schema they come in with different life experiences they come in with different test scores and so you all every teacher is a multi-age teacher i know you guys will say that a bit tomorrow but um because you already have the range in your classroom so all right parting words what else you got for us
1: Uh, trust God and if you are called to teach in a multi-age classroom just give it to him he will help you be successful so that you can be the teacher those kids need but embrace it because I have taught in a regular straight traditional classroom and I jumped at the chance to go back to multi-age and I've had one of my best years teaching because I just, I love multi-age so much. I cannot wait to have those kids back next year.
2: Thank you. Thanks for joining our conference this week. Thanks for letting me interview you while you drive us to Joliet. I appreciate your time, Abby. Thanks, Joe. Hello and welcome back to the NCA podcast. This is part two. We are on the way home from the regional workshop on microschools and multi-age instruction. I have a different captive audience in a different vehicle this time. Um, And we have two participants with us. One of them was a presenter. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. They are both from the Diocese of Kalamazoo.
0: Hi, I am Shannon Saxton Murphy. I am the principal at St. Stanislaus School in Door, Michigan. Um, We are a micro school, and we have always been a micro school. We are a preschool through eighth grade building with six teachers, and I have also very recently been named principal of st mary's visitation school in byron center michigan and it is also a micro school with about 50 students in it and that is a pre-k through sixth grade building
3: and i'm danny flint um, i teach at saint stanislaus uh, shannon's Bay principal i teach seventh and eighth grade um, all subjects except science and then i take fifth and sixth grade for math
2: that's fantastic. I want to first um, turn it over to Shannon here in just a minute. Shannon um, co-presented on Operational Vitality of Microschools with her co-presenter is Jenny Like from Saints Peter and Paul and Ionia. Um, and they both had different perspectives on operations um budgets all the things that happen from a principal's point of view in a micro school and i was not in the room because i was simultaneously presenting to teachers about assessment so i i'm dying to ask shannon how did it go
0: um it was awesome i i really took a huge takeaway from this huge cap this whole conference in general um like i just mentioned we've always been a micro school we have had a school and campus at St. Stanislaus for over a hundred and I think it's hundred and thirty eight years um, it was a one-room schoolhouse we've never had single classrooms we've never had that um, that different structure it's always been multi-age instruction there's always been different kids and different things going on um, and one of the things that really came out especially in our session was the schools that are making that transition and how they have a kind of a different perspective but how we can all do things the same way so i I, that was a huge takeaway um i i'm a planner so like i have a plan for almost anything and i also sit on the diocese of kalamazoo's leadership team for accreditation and we use the nesbex so I, um, I think people kind of were looking at my presentation and I had 10.1 through 10.3 that this was evidence for. And I, I could tell people are like, kind of, I, I did explain that. And then someone else asked again, what, what's that really all about? Why do you have that there? I, we forget that, at least in Michigan, because we live and breathe those for our accreditation process, that that's just coming to new nationally it's a new thing nationally
2: yeah and what's great is um, with NCA owning the Nesbex it's been an incredible process um, for us to be able to bring together those who are um, doing uh, their accreditation work with the Nesbex as their standards and benchmarks and um, I'm looking forward to the work ahead for NCA in that area to get all of those accrediting bodies together Um, in addition to what you're sharing here tell us a little bit about um, what happened in your session uh you know if if those who are listening did not attend what did you all talk about what's some big advice you have about the operational vitality of a micro school
0: um I, the biggest thing we talked about is what we do what we do and what has worked um jenny Lake, who is fabulous and i i keep telling people jenny Lake and i have worked together before, but we had never been in the same room at the same time. We um, had zoomed, we'd emailed, we'd texted, so it was kind of fun to actually, you know, see Jenny in person. Uh, Jenny always says that the Catholic school micro-school budget is the ramen noodles college student needing ramen noodles, and you really have to make sure that your expenses your income, You're being specific about what you're doing. You can't go to Starbucks every day. You can't eat out at Outback. You have to eat ramen noodles. And um, that is something I think is, was a big message and I will not take credit for it, it was all Jenny, that that's a lot of what our presentation was about. Um,
2: I, want to, I have an additional question. I know you've done a lot of work with um, fundraising, but also thinking long-term strategy about um, your budget and your base. And um, I don't know if it's a foundation, but can you talk a little bit about over time, how have you stabilized your budget? Knowing that, that doesn't mean it's a perfect formula and that there are years where there are surprises, but I, I know you've been at this a while. So what, what advice can you give about the work you've done in that area?
0: Um, <laughs> I always over budget expenses and I always under budget income. Um, and I think that that really helps in the, the long-term because of those surprises. Uh, or, I, I mean, I, the biggest surprise a lot of times is a teacher who has, whose spouse has lost a job and then they have to turn around and take insurance halfway through the school year and that wasn't budgeted for. Um, long-term thinking, I think transparency is really important. Letting people know what's going on, and because people are much more willing to deal with change, if they know that there's a deficit or they know, you know, what has happened, um, we've been very blessed in that sense that we've seen quite a bit of enrollment growth in the last couple of years. We've been—I've been able to squirrel away some money, but I also was in a time period where. When I first started we had two aides that were in classrooms with 10 kids and I ended up having to cut those aids because it it just wasn't a viable position.
2: You've done the work, um, and this is part of the NSBEX, you've done the work to calculate um, the cost to educate a child we are not great at doing this throughout the country, we can all grow in this, that it's not just about tuition numbers, but also understanding how much it actually costs to, to educate per child. What, what steps might a school take um, to get better at coming to a real number for that?
0: Um, I, so, I, I really go through the ledger report really, really carefully. I know every pencil that's spent, I I go through a whole process where I look at um, every line item, every penny, every cost, we adjust that. I think making sure that those numbers are accurate are really, really important. Um, Example of that is I look at a ledger report a couple times a year, I get monthly reports from my business manager, and I looked at that report and I'm like, capital expenditures are like way over what in the world we haven't purchased anything we haven't purchased any furniture equipment anything like that um come to find out it got miscoded by the parish um the parish business manager and father's brand new recliners were on my ledger report and on my budget or my financials i guess not really the budget um but making sure you like your thumb is on every single penny really has helped that
2: how often do you talk to your parish business manager?
0: So I am a part of what we call a collaborative in the Diocese of Kalamazoo. My parish business manager runs three parishes and two schools. Um, my we have an associate pastor. He is he's the administrator of all three of these, and um, so I pretty much for my school get that business manager. A maybe two hours every week Um, so not very much well but still
2: it's consistent and I think that's that's what you know we hear time and time again is that inconsistency of ooh, I haven't seen and I haven't seen the actuals in a while and that's really um, frightening when you have to be looking at every number all the time and and this is how I think we sometimes get underwater and and lose sight of what are our actual uh, expenses Okay, I want to switch gears a little bit. So we have Danny in the car as well. She um, contributed to the upcoming text "Greatness and Smallness: Effective Multi," or, I'm sorry, effective multi-age instruction in Catholic microschools, because Danny has been teaching um, a great model in her middle school math class. Can you tell us, Danny, just a little bit about what you do?
3: Um, so with our math classes, it's the only subject that we don't do on a a rotation every other year because I've got 7th and 8th graders in my classroom and one year we'll usually focus on the 7th grade standards, the next year we'll do 8th grade but the only class we don't do that is in in math Um, so this past year I had students working on Algebra 1, regular 8th grade standards and then I split my 7th graders into two groups one of them getting ready to take Algebra 1 as 8th graders And the other focusing on just kind of keeping with that 7th grade level and working towards 8th grade standards as 8th graders. So having all of those different levels going on in an hour-long math class can be crazy. Um, So what we do is we do a flipped model. So I have the students while I'm working with another group, they'll be watching a video about the subject that we're working on. And then they'll come to me doing some small group time, where we'll run through questions that they have about those problems that they they saw based off of the video.
2: That's awesome. So those flipped models uh, we saw emerging in math. Uh, I don't know. I would say like 15 years ago, and they started to emerge, and then evolve, and then evolve, and and. That is a strategy um, that I've seen very successfully in multi-age, so thanks for bringing that to the forefront by contributing. I really appreciate that. Um, okay, so to either of you, I'll just put the mic between you here in a second. I'm wondering of takeaways. You've spent in the last two days with others. Um, we've had people here from Texas and Wisconsin and Delaware and uh, California, Illinois, and Michigan. I'm probably missing someone. Uh, What are some conversations you've had, people you've connected with, or topics that you went a little deeper on um, because of your time here?
0: Um, One of the things that actually came up in our session that I was not overly prepared to discuss was um, standards-based grading and a standards-based report card. We do, in the Diocese of Kalamazoo, use a standards-based report card, K through sixth grade. Um, It has been, like, an absolute evolving process. I kind of was... Wait, time out. And you presented on this. uh, We got to go back a few years.
2: You presented at NCA. I remember this. I attended your session. You presented at NCA. I think it's when I met you, Shannon. Um... Uh, It was before Chicago. It must have been St. Louis, or this goes back a few years, like 2017, 2018, because Kalamazoo was on the cutting edge of of writing their curriculum standards because they were going to go to a standards-based report card model. And so this work goes back for you all at least five years. So this is not like right now in this moment you're going to start to do standards-based grading. So sorry to interrupt you, but I – I'm making the connection there that you were presenting, I think, your science curriculum and how it was mapped as a diocese.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So she totally just threw me for a loop here. Um, Yeah, we did. We went, we were redesigning some curriculum, um, science standards, and we were making that move. That was one of the first steps in that move we did present at St. Louis, Um, and part of that too and this one along with the conversation that took place in the multi-age classroom and um, kind of integrating theology into our curriculum standards and one of the things that we have done in what I spoke to today was the fact that the report card my teachers can do things with both fifth grade standards and sixth grade standards and theology standards all in the same lesson and they can record that um, and then it, it populates into this beautiful document. I, I think it's a beautiful document. It ended up being 16 pages long for some classrooms. Um, but it gives you just, it gave us so much about students and learning and what everything is about. But, but the, the thing that had really come up in the session today about it was the fact that, yeah, we didn't make that happen overnight. That was a huge process, lots of communication to parents, lots of conversations with um, teachers I still have conversations with my staff and we've been doing this for you know quite a few years at this point but in the fact that we um, you're not just rolling a dice and you, you I've had to have a conversation with teachers that mastery is hundred percent hundred percent of the time and not mastery is if, if they don't get it hundred percent of the time one plus one is always two and if they can't do that hundred percent of the time it, that's what it is. That's what the standards base looks like.
2: That's great. I'm glad it was, I'm glad the conversations evolved to that because some people um, well, that means some people are ready to really talk about the overlap of what does this mean at the end at the end of the semester, at the end of at the end of the school year, we are accountable uh, for students growth and achievement and um, I'm glad the principals are having that conversation because we were talking about it next door with all the teachers. so so that's really great. Um, Danny, how about you? Any any takeaways, things you're thinking about differently?
3: um i think one of the things that i want to focus a little bit more on is being a little more intentional with the rubrics that i create and taking into account that i do have two different grade levels in my room for what we're working with so making sure that i'm keeping in mind that the seventh graders aren't going to have the same skills that my eighth graders are going to have and trying to focus in on what the eighth graders will have as strengths or what the seventh graders will have as strengths uh, as I move forward in uh, continuing to work in this multi-age classroom.
2: That's great. Well, thank you both for this conversation and for your engagement at the regional workshop for microschools and multi-age. Um, and have a great day. God bless.